0: Grab your Bible and turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Uh, If you're looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 1253. Colossians chapter 3. Later this summer, um, we'll have the 2020 Olympics. I was... Thinking this week about something that happened almost 100 years ago, 1924, uh, at the Olympics in Paris. There was a Scottish runner named Eric Little who won the 400 meter race. If you have heard of him, if that name sounds vaguely familiar, it's probably because you saw the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, that movie is based on his story part of what drew so much attention uh, and made for such a good movie um, was the fact that he refused to run on a Sunday Um, the 100 meter which was his main event was going to be held on a Sunday and he refused to run and instead ran in the 400 meter and ended up winning gold Eric Little's parents were missionaries to China. In fact, he was born in China and then went to boarding school in Scotland. And after the Olympics, he went back to China uh, in 1925 the following year, and he spent the rest of his life there as a missionary. And at one point in the movie, uh, as far as I know, this did not really happen in real life, but uh, Eric Little is talking to his sister Jenny about going to China. And he says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure. I believe that God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure. Now, as far as I know, again, he never said those words. But there is something really profoundly true about that sentiment, that we can honor God, we can please God with our excellence, not just in quote, spiritual ways, but in every arena of life. And so that's our focus this morning, is the Christian virtue of excellence. We're going to read together here in Colossians 3. We're going to pick up in verse 17. So Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, We confess today that it is yours, not mine, not ours, but yours. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that inasmuch as what I say is in accord with what you say in your word, that we would hear it, not as my opinions, but uh, your truth and your authority. Help us to submit to what you have to say. God, rid us of any thought of trying to earn a place in your family or in your sight, but Lord, that we would come to you in humility in faith and trust you for grace, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a, there's a phrase here that I really want us to meditate on together this morning. It's in verse 23, right in the middle, work heartily. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for Men. The, the NIV translates that phrase, work at it with all your heart. The, the, the Greek is really strange. It says to work with your soul, to put your soul or from your soul, put your soul into it. So the Christian pursuit of excellence is not about being the best. When I talk about excellence, that's not what I mean. I'm not saying that we have to be the very best at everything we do, nor is it about working really hard for my own benefit or my own reputation. I want to try to give us a a definition uh, of Christian excellence. Here's my attempt at it. Christian excellence is striving to please the Lord in everything we do. Enthusiastically, willingly, and to the best of our ability. That's what Paul means when he says to work hardly, to, to put your heart into it. It means that we don't go about what we do begrudgingly or joylessly, or we don't just try to get by and do the bare minimum, that, but that we do everything we do willingly and to the very best of our ability as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10:31 whatever you do do all to the glory of God so if i win the gold medal so be it but what really matters is that i do whatever i do with all my heart to please the lord as paul says in verse 24 another key phrase he says you are serving the lord christ you are serving the lord christ now Paul gives instructions here to slaves and masters, and I want us to think about that for just a moment, something we kind of need to address. Uh, It's possible to acknowledge reality without condoning reality. In the Colossian church, the fact of the matter is there were slaves and there were masters, and addressing that reality does not mean Paul approves of it. In fact, when you really think about what he's saying, he actually undermines the institution of slavery. He says to everyone, you are serving the Lord Christ. And the word serving is the verbal form of the word he uses elsewhere in this passage, bondservants or slaves. You are, you are, y'all, the whole church, y'all are bondservants of Christ. You are slaves of Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. Christ. No matter your position in human society, whether you're a slave or master or neither, the church is a new kind of society in which everyone is serving the Lord Christ. And in case anyone thinks that they are exempt, Paul speaks to the earthly masters in chapter 4, verse 1 and reminds them that you also have a master in heaven. There is a capital M master that we all have. And he commands them... Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, which in context means to pay them and to pay them a decent wage. And so remember that you have a master. Treat those people who work for you fairly and justly. Don't be harsh with them, but pay them. The result, as F.F. Bruce put it, is an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. Because what we have done, when we start to look at people not as property but as human beings who are potentially our brothers or sisters in Christ, and we pay them a decent wage and we treat them fairly, is we have now moved from masters and slaves to bosses and employees. And it's not surprising or an accident that in the first few centuries of the church, everywhere the gospel went, slavery died. The overarching point for wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, or in our case, employees and bosses, the point is that all of us, no matter our position in society, we are all under the authority of Christ. We are all serving Him, and therefore we all should seek to please Him. First and foremost, that mindset that we are serving the Lord Christ is crucial to the Christian virtue of excellence. If you want to pursue excellence, the first thing you need to know is that you are not the master of your own fate. You are not the captain of your own ship. You are not the one who is in charge of your life. Jesus is. That's step number one. And when we know that... We are serving the Lord Christ. When we have that mindset, two really important things happen. First, knowing that we serve the Lord elevates everything we do. When we know that we have been put on this earth to serve the Lord, not ourselves and not even others, first and foremost... But Jesus, when we know that, it elevates everything we do. Notice the expansiveness of the phrase, Whatever you do. Paul uses it in verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again in verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we can do everything in the name of the Lord, then that elevates even the most mundane things we do. Even the things that do not seem like we're serving the Lord in that moment, it gives meaning to them because we're doing them not for ourselves or for anyone else, but for the Lord. Now we need to exercise some common sense here. There are certainly some limits to this. You cannot glorify Christ while being employed in a profession that is inherently opposed to His revealed will in Scripture. I don't see any way that you could be a hitman in Jesus' name. Or a prostitute. Or a politician. That last one was a joke. That last one kind of. Kind of a joke. Just seeing if you're awake. if someone routinely steals from other people, the takeaway is not be the best thief you can be in Jesus' name. You know, uh, Really do it upright for the glory of God. This is, those things are inherently contradictory. Some things cannot be done in the name of the Lord Jesus because in the name of the Lord Jesus means according to His will. But the phrase, whatever you do, is still a really broad umbrella. It means that you can please God in many stations of life. You do not have to be a pastor or a missionary or work for a Christian nonprofit to serve the Lord or honor Him. You can do whatever you do in the name of the Lord for His glory as if you were doing it for Jesus Himself. And when we know that, when we know that we're serving the Lord in whatever we're doing, then it elevates everything. Even the most mundane work we do becomes sacred because we're doing it God's way. We're doing it for His glory. So you can serve... Jesus, by cutting hair or cutting grass. You can deliver mail or teach school in Jesus' name. You can write papers or study for exams for the glory of God. Whatever your profession is, you can do it to please God. And it's not just about what you do outside the home, it's whatever responsibilities you have, you can do them in the name of Jesus. God is just as pleased when I change a diaper or wrestle with my kids for His glory as He is when I preach a sermon or counsel someone in His name. The same is true for you. All the ordinary things we do in our life, we can do them, not just for ourselves, not just for other people, but for the Lord. In fact, many people have this mindset that church is a place we go to serve the Lord. Now hear me, you can certainly serve the Lord at church. And if you want to know where, ask me and we'll find a place for you to serve. But Paul does not say, whatever you do at church, or whatever you do on Sunday, he says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're at a building like that we call a church, or whether you're at home, or whether you're at your job, whether it's Sunday, or whether it's Thursday, or any other day that ends in Y. You can serve the Lord at your job or school and in your home. You can, hear me, you can take out the trash in Jesus' name. You can take an exam in Jesus' name. You can proofread math homework or cook supper in Jesus' name. You can drive someone to a doctor's appointment, drive someone to ball practice, drive someone to school, drive someone to dance lessons for the glory of God. When we know that, when we know that we're serving the Lord and that we can serve Him in whatever we do, it elevates everything we do. It gives meaning to it. So knowing that we serve the Lord elevates everything we do. It takes the sacred things we do from just being on Sunday to being every day of the week. Second, knowing that we serve the Lord gives us the right measure for success. How do I know if I'm succeeding? This is why this is so important. Because knowing that we serve the Lord gives us the right measure of success. If I know that I've been put on this earth to serve Jesus. Then, I'm not going to measure success by how well I please other people, but by whether I please Him. Whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ Christ. Now, we need to make sure that we don't take this to a sinful extreme. Because we could say, well, you know, I've been put on earth to please Jesus, so it doesn't matter uh, if other people like me or if I please them or do anything for them, because I'm here to serve Jesus, you know. The problem is, the same Paul who said, you are working for the Lord, not for men, also said in Philippians 2 that we should not look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he says you should try to serve other people and think about what they need. So how do I do that? Serving the Lord and striving to please Him does not mean that I should be unconcerned with others or that I'm exempt from serving Him. That would ignore the rest of Scripture and he would even ignore what Paul says even in this own passage. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So there's no place for a wife to say, well, husband, you know, I can't submit to you because I'm supposed to serve Jesus. The point is If you submit to Jesus, if you serve Him, then this is one way that that will manifest itself. Verse 19, "...husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them." So there's no room for a husband to sort of snap at his wife and say, "...listen, I don't have time to talk with you about your day or to take out the trash or bathe the kids because I'm supposed to serve the Lord. I don't have to please you. I'm supposed to serve Him." No, the way, one of the ways that I serve the Lord and please Him is precisely by loving my wife and serving her with gentleness and not with harshness. The same principle applies to children and parents, uh, employees and bosses. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. If you want to please the Lord, then you're going to obey your parents as long as they're not telling you to do something sinful, Martin Luther said this, really helpful way of putting it, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. So the question is, how do I serve others? How do I even submit to them? There are people that we all have to submit to, whether it's a, a husband or government leader or someone like that. How do I submit to others, serve others, obey them without working for them? The answer is, it's about who we're trying to please, ultimately. Success is measured not by how thoroughly I please others, whether it's my spouse or parents or children or boss or employees. Success is measured by whether I please the Lord, you have to remember what is the primary purpose for which God has placed me on this earth. I'll give you an example. Let's say I were an airline pilot. And what is my purpose as an airline pilot? Now, we're taking out all the spiritual stuff right now. We're just talking real practical. What's my, what am I supposed to do? What do I get paid to do? I get paid to get everybody in this metal canister from here to there, right? Now, if I'm an airline pilot and I'm constantly worried about making everybody on that plane happy and and pleasing everybody, well, then when we start getting into a little bit of turbulence, I'm not going to turn on the fastened seatbelt sign because what if old Susie in 24C has to get up and use the bathroom? And she's going to be upset with me if I turn on the fastened seatbelt sign. What if Joe in 23A needs to get up and stretch his legs? And he's going to be thinking, boy, that awful pilot turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. But if I know my purpose, my purpose is to get Joe and Susie and everybody else from point A to point B without having their head hit the ceiling because of turbulence, then I'm not going to worry about whether they get a little bit upset with me for a few minutes because my purpose is to get them safely to their destination. So it's important that we know how we measure success as believers. Success is measured by whether I please Jesus. If I'm striving to please Him, then I will serve others because He tells me to do that. But I will serve others not because I'm this needy person who's trying to secure their praise or because I'm afraid of them criticizing me, but because I want to please God. So as I was sort of wrestling with this, the question that kind of bubbled up in my mind and heart was, how do I tell the difference between working heartily as for the Lord and just plain working hard? Because I mean, there, there are some of you in this room today who you've, you've got a really strong work ethic. You know, you get up early, you work hard, all those kind of things. And you could sort of sit here and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. But you can be a hard worker and you can have a good work ethic, but not be working heartily as for the Lord to please Him. So how do we tell the difference? I want to give you eight rapid-fire suggestions. I emphasize rapid-fire. Okay, rapid-fire suggestions about how we can tell the difference and how we can pursue excellence that honors Jesus. That's, that's crucial. First, you can have integrity. Proverbs 11.1, 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You can work really hard, but be crooked. And uh, that's not honoring to Jesus. God delights in truth and integrity, not in deceit or laziness. Rebecca and I sometimes joke, if some people would work as hard at being just a regular job as they do at, you know different schemes to steal money from people, they could really do something with their life. They're creative, they're they're hard-working, they put a lot of thought into it. If you would just channel that the right way, you could really do something with your life. So one way that we can pursue Christ-honoring excellence is by being upright and honest in our work. We can be timely and dependable and hard-working, but also fair and trustworthy and above reproach. Number two, do your very best. Do your very best. If, if I'm striving to please the Lord, then I'm not just going to try to get the job done, but I'm going to try to do it well. I'm going to try to do it to the very best of my ability because I want to honor God. God Matthew 5:16 let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven So not just the bare minimum not just scraping by but trying to do all that I do with excellence doing it well because I want to shine a light on the glory of my father who is in heaven Number 3 don't grumble Philippians 2:14 do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is another example of I can get everything I need done, but I can kind of go about it in a grumbling fashion. So how can I tell the difference between just doing something and doing it for the Lord? Here's a diagnostic. I cannot honor Jesus if I'm simultaneously complaining about what I have to do. Grumbling does not honor God. And it does not express love to others. Because I'm saying, I don't really, I'm not really doing this because I love you. I'm doing this so that you won't yell at me. Number four, honor God with your rest. Honor God with your rest. We not only honor God and please Him with what we do, but also when we cease doing it. That's how God made us. He did not design us to be robots who keep going and never stop. Psalm 127 verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. That's not a prohibition against getting up early or staying up late. It's a warning about doing both. A workaholic is someone who acts like everything depends on them. It doesn't. If I go to sleep... The world keeps spinning. We depend on God, not the other way around. And one way we express that dependence is by obeying His command to rest. Number five, love others. Love others. Again, we should not be obsessed with trying to please others, but we should seek to love them. In fact, if you are the kind of person who you say... There is something inside me that wants to please others. I'm a people pleaser. Here's a hard truth for those of us who are like that. When I am fixated on pleasing others, when I'm, when I'm doing things because I'm just trying to please them, I'm not really loving them. I'm trying to get them to love me. I'm worried that if I don't do everything I have to do, or if there's something I neglect, or if I do something the wrong way, then they're going to be upset with me. That is selfishness that is masquerading as love. So ask God to fill your heart with love for Him and for others to the degree that you'll want to serve them, not because you want anything in return, but simply because... You want to model his selfless love. Number six, look for opportunities in interruptions. Look for opportunities in interruptions. Next time you're reading the Gospels, notice how often Jesus gets interrupted by someone. And I put interruptions in quotation marks because they're only interruptions from our vantage point. In reality, they're divine appointments. They're orchestrated by God because He has plans that we don't know about. One way that we can pursue Christ-honoring excellence is by looking for opportunities in the things that we see as interruptions rather than being frustrated by them. Because when something happens that's not according to my plan and I get really frustrated by it, whether it's at home or work or wherever, what I'm revealing is... You know, this, that same idea that I think I can kind of shape the narrative here. I think I can sort of steer the universe in the right direction. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's plans supersede my plans. And sometimes He orchestrates things to happen that frustrate what I'm trying to do. That, that, that make me less efficient. That keep me from getting what I think I have to done. Uh, get done, done. But instead of being really frustrated by that, step back and say, okay, God, what are you doing here? You know, how, how can you be at work in this? So whether it's with your kids or whether it's with a fellow worker or student, look for opportunities in those things that we see as interruptions. Number seven, use your work to bless others. Use your work to bless others. What I mean by that is not everybody makes six or seven figures. Not everybody has a guest house that they can give to somebody. Not everybody can say to a single mom, hey, here are the keys to a brand new car. But we can all model the goodness of God in being generous with whatever money and time and energy and abilities that God has given us. And if I go about my life... And I work just to meet my own needs, then I have not honored Jesus. I haven't lived up to what He has called me to be because Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Hear me out. Okay? The Eighth Commandment, You shall not steal. Every commandment, there's a, there's a negative and there's a positive. The negative of that command is, Don't steal. And there are many people who've never stolen anything in their life. And they think that they're obeying the Eighth Commandment. But if you never steal a single thing in your life, but you keep all your money and all your time and all your energy and all your abilities to yourself, you have broken the Eighth Commandment. Because God says, it's not enough not to steal. You've put on this earth to work so that you can have something to share with others who are in need. There There are others who are in need whether it's money or whether it's just your time or your abilities that you can help them, use your work to provide for and to bless others. And then eight, the last suggestion I want to give you is be content with obscurity. Be content with obscurity. If we want to pursue Christ-honoring excellence then we have to be more concerned with His standing than with our own. We have to be ready to say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. For many people, work becomes just as much about status as it is about earning a living. There are some people who the most important thing to them is not how much money is on their paycheck, but how everybody else thinks about them. And their their identity is tied up in what they do. Now there's nothing wrong with advancing. There's nothing wrong with getting promotions or anything along those lines. There's nothing wrong with trying to be the very best in whatever field you're in. But every follower of Christ should strive to be content. If I never attain recognition, if I never attain notoriety... But I've honored Christ and I've loved other people, then I have succeeded. I mentioned Eric Little at the beginning, the guy who ran the 400 meter and won gold because he wouldn't run on a Sunday. The world knew him for that, uh, for, for winning the victory in Paris in 1924. Most people don't know what happened in the last 21 years of his life. He died in 1945, When he was just uh, 43rd, just after his 43rd birthday. He honored God in the last two decades in China. He died in an internment camp in February 1945. And if you are familiar with World War II history, you know that was just five months before liberation. February 1945, just as, just after his 43rd birthday, he died in an internment camp. He had an inoperable brain tumor. He was malnourished. And on the day that he died, he wrote a letter to his wife. It's the last letter he ever wrote. and He, he talked about suffering a nervous breakdown because of overwork. According to the other people in the camp, uh, he was the happiest man there. He would take some of the kids, the the Chinese uh, children, and he would teach them the Bible, he would teach them science, he would play soccer and basketball with them. And according to one of his fellow missionaries, just before he died, he reflected on his life and his last words that he ever said. Three words. It's complete surrender. It's complete surrender. Now, What is the greatest thing that Eric Little did? Was it winning the victory, winning the gold in Paris in 1924? Or was it all those years that he spent loving the people of China by taking the gospel to them? Was it all those months he spent in an obscure internment camp in China I'll leave that for you to decide. But what guided his life was complete surrender to God. He could look back and say, in everything I did, it was complete surrender. And so the question is, what about you? Will you surrender? With all this talk about striving to please the Lord, there's a danger that we could think, it all depends on me. Uh, You might think, I guess if I want to please God, I just need to work harder. I I need to be a better parent, a better student, a better employee, a better boss, a better person. Maybe you do. I mean, we we all need to grow, right? But not because we're trying to please God. If I'm in Christ, I'm in the one who perfectly pleases God. Or you might think, you know, I stack up pretty well. You know, those eight suggestions? I don't. I mean, maybe there's some areas I could work, but I, I feel pretty good. I don't complain too much. I'm a hard worker. I've been generous. I'm doing pretty good. Both of those mindsets, different manifestations of the same disease, the disease that says that pleasing God is something we have to do in our own strength, so I want you to hear me. I want to put, on, on the one hand, I want to push and say, if we're followers of Christ, of all people in this world, we should be striving to do everything that we do the best we can possibly do it because we want to glorify Him. But on the other hand, I want to say to you, do not pursue that. Do not pursue excellence apart from faith in Jesus There are plenty of people in the world who are very, very good at what they do. They do it very well, but they don't trust in Christ. The world is filled with tips and life hacks about how we can be a better this or a better that. Those are all well and good, but we cannot please God without trusting in Jesus. He is the only one who has ever pleased Him perfectly. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So I could be the very best at whatever I do, but if I don't trust in Jesus, then everything I've done has been displeasing to God. Because what He's looking for me, what He's looking for from me, is not my excellence. He's looking to see whether I'm united to His perfect Son, Jesus. If we try to pursue excellence apart from seeking Jesus, then we may become very efficient. We may become very skilled. We may become very well-known. We may become very generous. But we will be headed for hell. But if we pursue excellence in faith and in Jesus' name, then we will be fulfilling the purpose for which He created us and for which He died for us. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. opportunity for us to respond to God's Word. And uh, I pray that um, all of us, our response would be, Further trusting in Christ. For some of us, that may lead us to say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to give Him my life. Ask Him to be the Lord of my life. Others of us, that may mean saying, I've been walking with Christ, but uh, I haven't been the best parent, the best child, the best student, the best employee, the best boss, whatever it may be. And I want to honor Him, not just with what I do on Sunday, not just with the things I say, but with everything I do. Um, There is great spiritual darkness all around us. And that gives us great opportunities to shine for the glory of our Father in Heaven. So let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for how You have purchased redemption for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you became flesh in our place, that you lived a sinless life in our place, that you died in our place, so that we could become the righteousness of God by faith in you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move through your word, Spirit of God, that you would work in our hearts to draw us to the Father. And God, that we would look to you and that our desire would be to honor you in all that we do. But Lord, before we can do any of that, we have to be right with you. And so I pray that you would move now. Um, Work in us. Work through your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.